This episode of Outside the Rack is brought to you by Kinetic Performance, the makers of the leading tool to measure barbell performance, the GymAware. There is obviously a reason that the man who wrote the book on velocity-based training, Dr. Brian Mann, calls the GymAware the Rolls-Royce when it comes to velocity-based training measuring devices. And that's because it ticks a lot of boxes when it comes to being able to measure and monitor your athletes that you get to work with. Working in velocity-based training at this time, of course, this is the tool to use. You're going to be able to take the guesswork out and have target zones set for your athletes so they're ready to roll. Power and strength analysis, yep, tick that box as well. Power drives the fastest sprints and breaks the hardest tackles, and you'll be able to make sure you're in the right zones with each lift when using the gym aware. So hop on over to kinetic.com.au today to learn what Evan and the team have in store for you with the gym aware. Being a practitioner in the world of sport performance is a challenging situation. We're in a spot where you're always asked to search for more. But more what? What are the questions that most practitioners in the world of high performance are asking? Well, where can I find cutting edge information? Where can I find different opinions and different ways of doing things and different feedback that I can get on the training that we're utilizing? And where's a place where I can find like-minded individuals to give me solid advice when it comes to my career development? This is precisely why we built the Strength Coach Network. Within the Strength Coach Network, you're going to get exclusive content monthly from some of the top practitioners in the world, bringing you the most cutting-edge information. You tie that in with a forum where you're able to connect with coaches around the world to bounce ideas off of, to learn from, and to get career advice from, and you've got your sensational one-stop shop for all things career development for strength and conditioning coaches. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash cvasps. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S to dive into all that great content today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the seventh episode of Outside the Rack, brought to you by Kinetic Performance, the makers of GymAware. In this show, we're going to try to dive a little deeper into the minds of some of the top practitioners in the world of sport performance to learn a little bit more about who they are and how they got to where they are today. Today we are joined by the strength and conditioning coach at the Institut National du Sport de Québec, Corey Kennedy. Corey, thanks for being with us today, man. Thanks a lot, Jay. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. Well, listen, before we get rolling into it, who is Corey Kennedy? Wow. Um, Corey Kennedy is a strength and conditioning coach, as you mentioned, at Institut National du Sport de Québec. That is a Canadian sport uh, Olympic Sport Institute, so there's four of them uh, around the country. I have been doing that work for at, um, I'll say, an Olympic level for 10 years. A uh, former athlete who got into the game because his environment, I guess, didn't have that kind of support. So I started to really, you know, do the research on my own to say, this doesn't seem like it's what we should be doing. I was a collegiate football player in Canada, and uh, as I got into performance, um, I knew I really wanted to do high-level stuff, uh, whether that's pro or Olympic, and I've sort of shaped my life according to that since university. Um, I still love pro sport, all of them. I, I watch the scores kind of thing. I don't watch as much sports nowadays just because of time, but... I definitely am still in love with pro sport. I was always a kid that 
that you know could could tell you players in every league of all the sports and i know you know who's winning the masters and who just won uh wimbledon and things like that so i, I i'm a huge fan of sport all around i love it brother and i think that in order to be in high level sport you've got to be a fan of all types of sport to stand your toes and stay consistent i agree so listen, buddy, let's get right into number one, man. You know, as a guy who's, you know, a forward thinker and someone who's always digging for answers and trying to find better ways to, to work with the athletes you get to work with, uh, could you describe a learning situation that brought about an epiphany during your career? Yeah, one of the, one of the big ones that I had, um, I took a big interest in, in track and field and, and speed training and, and sprint research. When I finished school, I was a, a receiver in college who um, went out and sought a track coach during my career to, to get faster and it worked. And then I continued to sort of like, as I entered strength and conditioning, I really had a fascination in the track and field world. So I did a lot of study on that. And with that, I've started to coach certain athletes in different sports for speed specifically. And there was a a couple of years ago, even though I'm not young anymore, I was coaching a few guys for bobsled where the basically your ability to do a start is going to determine everything. And as a former athlete who still stays in shape, I would run, I'd sprint with them at some of these training sessions I did. And I wasn't really following any type of program. Uh, I wasn't really lifting off. And it was like once a week, it's like, oh, I haven't really squatted in a while. I should probably do something or maybe you do some cleans one day, but I, I definitely didn't follow a regimented lifting program, but knowing how to sprint and knowing what I was trying to do with them and me just running with them, the weirdest thing was happening is I was getting faster every week. Uh, even though I was, you know, barely doing the bare minimum and they were luckily also getting faster every week. So I wasn't a bad coach, but they were like, you know, 20-something years old, doing all this crazy lifting and training all around three hours a day. And for a while, I was I was still beating them. And it was like, if they got faster, I got faster. They got faster, I got faster. There was a limit reached where I, I reached my potential and they kept getting faster. But the big epiphany for me was just another reminder that when it comes to sprinting fast, it really is a sport. And we can't assume a lot of people talk about transfer of gym and, and track, but it really goes well beyond just assuming that the physiology transfers. And it's just so important to understand the technical model and how we need to run. And everyone can see when they go to a track and a team starts to do sprints, which athletes know what they're trying to do and not. And if you take aquatic sports and you go to the track and you say, hey, we're going to do a couple sprints today, we can see that there's there's not a lot going on that we all cringe. So just going back to the idea that knowing how to run, knowing what you're trying to do from a technical standpoint, as strength and conditioning coaches, we really need to know this. And we can't just assume that if I've got some jumps in my program and I'm telling an athlete to sprint, that that will get them to world class. Now, just sprinting, during the week may start to move the needle. But if you want to take a sport like bobsled where they're picking Olympians based on their 30 meter sprint time, well, if you want to get to that level of elite sport, you really need to know how to coach the actual movement. And I think 
me as the coach knowing how I wanted them to run, doing it, it was funny to watch that. I was like, I was improving. I was like, I'm, I'm over 30. I'm not really training hard. How am I still getting better than these guys? And then they eventually blew me out of the water. But that was a, a really big one for me. I love that, brother, especially the fact that you were learning with the athletes and sitting there tinkering with yourself and being like, well, wait a minute. Uh, why is what going where and, and all of that? Yeah, like, what, what are we trying to do today? Why is this working for me? Why is it working for you? It was, it was neat to see because, you know, we don't always tinker with ourselves and we don't always have the time and energy, but we should try a little bit. No doubt, man, no doubt. And I think that the athletes tend to every now and then like that a little bit when they know that you're kind of in the suck with them, you know? Yeah, I think there's usually a mutual respect that, that uh, I know I've seen Coach Boyle mention online many times about how he never had to look like he could look, lift, you know, 500 pounds to gain people's respect. And I, I agree that there's a, a limit where you don't need to be massive or crazy shredded to get the athlete's respect. But if they know that you can do some of the stuff and you're willing to try some of the stuff that you're asking them to do, there's at least that participation that they're like, okay, yeah. Uh, I like this. I'm willing to follow that. No doubt about it, brother. So then following down that rabbit hole, if Corey could get one question answered and he knows he would get the actual answer to that question, what would it be and why? I really enjoy the question, what were you trying to do there? And so this is mostly on the training floor or on the track or in the gym. I mean, it could go into all of life though. Like, hey, you gave that speech, what were you thinking about? But usually it's training related. And I find athletes have a really hard time of separating what's act, what they're actually experiencing with what they think your expectations are. So when you're trying to get really valuable information to really help the coaching process, you're saying, I. I'm trying to change this skill. We want it to get better. A lot of times if they know, you know, what's a good time, what's a bad time, or if you've used a coaching cue a bunch of times, if you just say, oh, how was that one? Usually they'll, they'll look at the time and say, oh, it was good or it was not good. I try to pull back without any of the information. So it's either withholding the time as a feedback, if I'm talking about sprinting again, if I use that example. And I, I like to start not just how you feel, but what were you trying to do there? I want to know what was the athlete saying to themselves in their head? Because that'll tell you sort of if the goals that you've been, the objectives you've been setting and the things that you've been screaming from the side of the track, is that actually working? Because if you think you've been coaching, I don't know, for me, if I think I was coaching the person to push the ground away and I thought that's what the most important aspect was, if I ask that and they all of a sudden realize like they can be authentic and they go, oh, I was trying to uh, swing my arms as hard as I could. I've gotten answers like this before and I go, oh man, that's, that's not really what I wanted them to be thinking about. So then you kind of get to review your own methods of coaching going, is it clear what I want the athlete to think? And number two, the performance has to come from the process. You can't just ask for a 30-meter sprint to be 
at 3.9 seconds, but you know to get to those 3.9 seconds, an athlete has to repeat the right habit, you know, 34 times down the track or however many steps it is. So I try to make sure that at least every couple of sessions with each individual, I can get one of those moments where it's, what were you trying to do? Not, did that go well? Did that feel good? There's a lot of questions we ask where athletes can really go and be like, yeah, that was good, right? Yeah, I succeeded. Yeah, I did this because they think, hey, I, I caught the clean. I ran an acceptable time. I did this. But to get inside what were the words they were repeating or what was the feeling they wanted, I find is a lot more illuminating to get them to either confirm or deny what's happening or to help you better shape your coaching. That's awesome, man. And uh, if I'm being completely candid, I never would have even thought of that. And I think that's actually sitting here making me think a little bit about how you can mold questions to have a better understanding of the intent of what your athletes are doing. So that's that's killer, brother. I appreciate it. I think questions are one of those things that we we know – we do it all the time, but then the the answers are probably automatic 80% of the time too. You know, how do you feel today? It's usually not the answer to the question that ends up being the most important information. Usually it's the body language and all those other things. So I think uh, making sure that like we check ourselves and go like, can, can the person hide their answer in this question? Uh, it's something we have to do at least from time to time. I, don't get me wrong. Throughout my day, I'm sure I'm asking all sorts of questions where athletes are just nodding, going, yep, feels good. Yep, I'm okay. Yep, let's go. But then every once in a while, you go like, okay, how do I make sure I get real information here? And that's, that's just one way that I, I like to use. Well, I love it, man. And now, coming up to a question that might be hard to answer since we're coming up to the fourth year of the Olympic uh, quadrangle here. But what's your escape? So I used to not really have an escape. I used, like most in our field, where I, I worked a lot of hours, and, and I was okay with it. I definitely didn't feel like I was getting burned out, even though I was, I was using a lot of my time toward that. And my, my escape, my biggest escape at that point was reading, which I really enjoy. I think it's kind of like meditation if you can really kind of relax into any type of reading. And so I used to be a lot more prolific with my book reading. I would get 30 to 40 books a year. And that was like my way of unplugging. And then in summer of 2017, my wife and I decided to buy a cottage. Uh, that's about three hours from here. It's on the water. It's got two acres of land. So I got to, you know, take care of that, get on the ride on mower, cut it. Um, but now we, we go every weekend. So now like I plug out, unplug literally at four o'clock on Friday and plug back in Monday morning. And all I do on the weekend is worry about like, you know, jumping in the kayak and going on the lake. Uh, is my grass cut? Are my, my gardens fed? Uh, are we relaxing? Are we enjoying ourselves? Is there time to go golfing? So it's like a, a place that we've both physically and um, sort of emotionally created as just our our paradise, our Zen. And we, we go there almost every weekend, unless there's a, a major thing like a friend's wedding or things of that nature. But 
that's now the escape. So I used to not have one, and now I, I have a very real, tangible escape. Well, that's awesome, man. And I, I think that being able to get out and hide every weekend right now is probably big time because coming into these next 12 months, I, I got a feeling you're going to be kind of busy. Yeah, definitely will be. And the, the rules of a normal year in the Olympic quad go kind of out the window the last year. Uh, everyone wants to make sure all the boxes are checked, I's are dotted, T's are crossed. So the, the rules go out the window. No doubt, brother. Well, listen, Corey, truly appreciate your time, brother. That's sensational, and uh, we'll be in touch soon, my man. Thanks a lot, Jay. Enjoy the day. Yeah, brother. Take care. You too.